suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. Despite the reputation of their homeland, some are remarkably thin-skinned, some seem to have multiple lifespans, a few were once thought to be extinct in the region, others have been observed being sacrificed by their own. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's the 3rd of October 2018. If you're new to the program, this is an Australian podcast. Looks at news and politics, things going on in the world. We discuss them, we try and work them out. We might have an argument or two if we're lucky. And uh, at the end of the day, who knows where we'll end up on different issues. But we normally have a panel and tonight is no different. And with me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day listeners. And tonight I'm drinking from Was a Pirate Life IPA. It's quite nice. Thank you very much, Was. And then later in the program, I'll be opening up a beer from our second beer sponsor, <laughs> Mr. Landon Hardbottom, <laughs> who sent over a carton of Stone and Wood Pale uh, Pacific Ale. Thank mm. you very much, Landon. Hopefully, an undocted. We'll be, we'll be looking at the seals carefully. <laughs> 12th man, welcome aboard again. Thank you, Trevor. How are you? How are you, Scott? How are you, listener? If they could talk back to us right now, I'm sure they'd say they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Half tanked, but good. Yep. Yep. So, dear listener. You need to get through the SCOMO years, don't you? Mm. Or SCOMO months. You know, many years ago, Scott, we referred to uh, Tony Abbott as the gift that just keeps on giving. Yeah. And Scott Morrison is... Is the gift that keeps on giving, yeah. yeah. There's always going to be something with that guy. He just won't be able to help himself. He seems to come up with these ideas and then shoot off at the mouth. And he doesn't, you know, he, he said that he's he's a he's an agile politician or something like that. Or he's a, is it agile that he was saying? He, he said something or other that said he was very quick on his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he should actually cons- slow down and be a bit more considered. I think because we, like you said a week or two ago, Trevor, we 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 got through the the uh, Abbott years, and we were embarrassed every time he went on the seven thirty report, and then mm-hmm. we suddenly had Malcolm where. Oh, we don't need to be embarrassed anymore. Mm. But I think with Scomo, we're going to be embarrassed again. I think so. Mm. When you said he's quick on he's quick on his feet, I think he's just quick to to put his foot in his mouth. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. that's the sort of footwork yeah. Scott Morrison is good at. He's going to prove to be good at. Yeah. yeah, look for all his faults. Malcolm Turnbull was at least quite an articulate person. Yeah, and seldom would make you know really really clumsy gaffes. Yeah, he just had no conviction about any ideology, um, so that was his problem, which is a big one for a politician. Or, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's an advantage. Apparently, Paul Keating came out this week and, and said, had a go at him. Yeah, he, he, he was he was mm. in response to him banging on at, at um, Rudd and Abbott for not leaving Parliament once they lost the prime ministership. Mm. And it's pretty hard to argue with what Keating had to say because he was a man that didn't really show very many convictions when he was in office. 
And this is the thing my better half and I had talked about this morning, actually. He was saying that um, had he have actually fought the right and actually took them on, he may well have still gone down, but he would have gone down a hell of a lot more popular than he did, and he would have gone. He would have taken the right out in the blaze of glory too. Better to go down swinging, but hang on, you know, I'm not sure we can trust comments from your better half, Scott, <laughs> because you, you sent something about a talk being given by Kevin Rudd. I did, yes. And you don't really want to go, but, but your better half actually likes Kevin Rudd, and you're going to be dragged. Kicking and screaming along to the event, paying thirty-five bucks a head or something. To, so so you to couldn't that. pay me enough to listen to, to Kevin Rudd. And there was an adage about Kevin Rudd, which was, uh, I think it came from uh, who was the guy who shook John Howard's hand too hard that time? Uh, Mark, Mark Latham. Mark Latham. Well, we went to see him. Mm. You may recall mm. Scott mm. at yeah. the. Brisbane Powerhouse. Yeah, he was releasing a book, yeah. Yeah. When somebody said to Mark Latham about Kevin Rudd and that, you know, people seem to like him, and Mark Latham said, well, that's because they haven't met him. So, (laughs) which, you know, once you meet him in the flesh, well, you don't even need to meet him in the flesh. Anyway, good luck on that one, Scott. You, uh, you know, report back to the podcast on that. But Okay. Look, we better get into the topics, and we're going to kick off... uh, a bit where we were last week, school funding or the government funding of private schools. And there was a good article by a guy called David Gillespie. Have you guys heard of David Gillespie before? I had heard of him, but I couldn't remember where he was from. Mm. He's written a few different books. He's a Brisbane lawyer, one of them about sugar. Of course. Mm. Uh, and a the very dear friend of, of mine uh, showed me a book by... I think it was him, probably at least 10 years ago about uh, the, the perils of eating sugar. Yeah. That's him, hey? Yep. He wrote another book called, and I'm holding it in my hands, Free Schools, How to Get a Great Education for Your Kids Without Spending a Fortune, which looks at this whole argument of where's the best place to send your kids for an education. So anyway, he put in an article and... I think on his blog, which got shared around on different secular sites. And I'll read a bit from it because it's pretty good. He said, Another $4.6 billion taxpayer dollars at a sector which already sucks up $12 billion a year of Australia's education funding. So that's something we didn't point out last week, was the $4.6 billion over you know, many years is in addition years to 12 billion, billion, billion a year. every year. Mm-hmm. Seriously, 12 billion every year yep. plus another 4.6. Another 4.6 spread over years. several years, 10 years. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be $12.5 billion in total oh. every year. And do yeah. you have a figure for the public school sector? No. Um, I might have by the time I get through this bit. Mm. I can't remember. But anyway, according to the. Actually, I can tell you that our. Pro, our, our spending of private sc- on on public schools is sixty six percent of our overall spending. Uh, the rest is for private. So, as a proportion of our spending budget, government spending budgets overall, sixty six percent is for. Um, that, now that would include state and federal government. Sixty six percent, I think, was for the um, public sector. And the other third is for the private sector. 
In somewhere like the United States, it's 99% is spent on public. And in somewhere like Finland, it's, you know, 95% or something. We're totally out of whack. But anyway, let me finish this article and we'll see what comes from it. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, of every 100 Australian households, 33 will have children under 15 or dependent students aged 15 to 24. So... 100 households, 33 will have kids going to school or uni. In 21 of those households, so that's in 21 of those 33, uh, the school-aged children will be attending public schools. Seven of those 33 will be attending Catholic schools and five will be attending independent schools. So you've got 12 households out of 100 that have chosen not to use the education system provided uh, and funded by all taxpayers and are asking the other 88 households to pay for their choice. This is the thing. Like, there's a a huge proportion of households that don't have any... Well, the three of us sitting around this table right now are part of that... um, Oh, no, I was educated in a private school and I don't have any kids. But households now, as, as your household is a household that is paying tax. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. yours and, and mine. Yeah. So um, so as it currently stands, uh, 12 out of 100 are asking the other 88 uh, to subsidise them. So he says, they argue that in choosing not to use a public service, they are saving the community money and so they should be compensated. <laughs> and... and, and we gave examples of the police force and some other example. Public I can't remember. transportation. Public transportation, yes. He gives a couple here. He said, but that's the equivalent of an avid reader suggesting he is saving the local library by buying his own books and then expecting his collection to be paid for by the taxpayer. Or the chap installing a pool in his backyard expecting to be paid by the government because he's taking load off the public pool. The reality is that our voracious reader and our keen swimmer may be choosing to spend money on books and pools for any number of reasons, including convenience, variety, or perhaps they just don't like sharing. And they are perfectly free to make those choices for those reasons. But they don't get to ask the rest of us to subsidise those preferences. Likewise, those 12 families are choosing not to avail themselves of the public education system for a multitude of reasons. Maybe they like religion mixed with their education. Maybe they want a single-sex education. Maybe it's just that they think they can get a better education than the government is offering. Whatever is driving their choice, they should be free to make that choice, but they should not be given taxpayer funds for electing not to use a public service, any more than our book lover or water enthusiast. There we go. Good examples, I think. Hmm. So I had a... I got a message from a friend, Joe, if you're listening, not the Joe that you guys know, but different Joe, and he was saying to me, yeah, but Trevor, I, you know, private schools, they've got better uh, discipline, public schools are a rabble, and, you know, I just, I would always send my kids to a private school for that reason, because of the roughneck bullying and drug taking and debauchery that goes on in public schools. I attended one of Queensland's top private schools. It was in the GPS system. Mm. There was a hell of a lot of roughneck <laughs> bullying that went on there. Yep. There was a hell of a lot of drug use there. Yep. 
and I learned to drink there. So, <laughs> exactly. You know, and there's a whole bunch of shitty kids. Who- Absolutely. There are some complete assholes that yep. go to those schools. Let me yep. tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there yep. are some absolute bastards that go to yep. those schools. Some junior Trumps, perhaps. Oh, yeah, there are. Yeah. yeah. And they're possibly more cunning and more covert than the obvious oh, folks yeah. in, a, in a public school. Yeah. So, you know... I, I think I think you know one of the things that can I can sum up from my years at grammar. A true friend stabs you in the chest, <laughs> right. rather than stab you in the back, which is what most of those bastards would do. Anyway, right. yeah. I do digress. I apologise. Yeah, you're a product of the public school, no Catholic school system. I went to an extremely poor Catholic school. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the we, toilets were disgusting. We were so poor that we did high jump practice on a traffic island. That's, oh. that's how poor we were. That's... And I kid you not, that is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they didn't have to worry about the science block yeah. because there wasn't one. The school didn't even offer biology. But anyway, um, my kids, though, all went to public schools and got a great education. So there we go. Um, so anyway, good on you, David Gillespie, for uh, trotting that out. And uh, I'd like to speak to him eventually about this whole argument. Get him on the podcast. Yes, I'll try and make contact and see if we can have him on. Yep. So speaking of education, it appears that our education system has failed our education minister, Dan Tian. Badly failed. <laughs> Very badly failed. So in the, he's part of the new ministry. So Scott Morrison sacked Simon Birmingham. Who, who did to, a wonderful job. Yeah, but just have a listen to this clip. This is Dan Tian talking on the floor in our parliament house and see if you can pick something up of interest out of this little clip, dear listener. By a focus on results. We want to make sure that we get better grades, not abolish grades. Without grades, how would we mark a geography student who didn't know that Africa is a country, a nation? Without grades, how would we mark an English student who didn't know the meaning of the word aspiration? I think um, cringeworthy. Mm, yeah. Talk, man. Would you like to um, spot the difference there? Uh, the, the, the spot the problem. I've heard of Africa. Where is that country again? <laughs> it's a continent. It's a continent full of other countries. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, the, the, the is nation that it? of you know, it's a country and uh, or a nation. You could tell. You could be talking about South Africa, though. Yeah. Well, you should use the words South, South Africa, Africa. Yeah. if you are. But to stand up in the floor of Parliament and say, "How will a geography student know whether Africa is a country?" Yeah. That's terrible. That's it an is extraordinary gaffe for and you a could, minister of it for education. You could it? you could hear him hesitating slightly as he's reading his notes, and he goes, "A uh, country." Or a nation. Yeah, it's, so he clearly he, doesn't know he, the he, difference. He was looking at it and going, ooh, I'm not quite sure, but I'll just keep going here. Mm. He didn't know. He didn't he, know. But he was thinking about it. So anybody normally who's qualified to be an education minister should have just looked at the notes and gone, whoops, not a, a continent, clearly. And a journalist pointed out to him his gaffe at, at a subsequent interview, mm. and he didn't have the courage to admit that he'd um, made a gaffe. 
Mm. He excused himself. He said, oh, no, 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 you know, I was just, I was just, uh, you know, being, I don't know if he said ironic or, you know, he was just testing everybody else. To see if they'd notice. (laughs) Yeah, he's an idiot. Goodness me! Yeah, no, he's 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 another one that you know. We went from having a very competent, excellent minister for education, Simon Birmingham, was competent at least, and now we've got an idiot who's taken his job. The interesting thing is, I was googling before just to find the clip for this, so I googled Dan Tian Africa is a country. And there's an article from the Daily Mail, one from MSN, and then the third one is Reddit, Facebook, Weekly Times, Trends Map, whatever that... Like, there's nothing in the media about this gap. Oh, they didn't pick it up? No. They didn't even put it on the ABC. Nothing in the media. If you Google Dan Tian, Africa is a country, there's nothing in... In, in these other mainstream medias. You'd all, almost suspect every, you know, Scott got on the phone uh, later and asked everybody, please don't report that. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that's Dan Tian, and uh, he's going to be a frightening education minister because uh, he's another one who was calling for special religious protection laws as well. So he's got a low uh, score on the IFVG secular index. Mm. Right. How must just before we move on? How mm. must how must Simon Birmingham feel about being replaced with a dunce like him? <laughs> it does make you wonder, doesn't it? You know, because you know Birmingham was the one that actually cut the funding to Catholic schools. He didn't eliminate it. He just he just didn't continue the special deals that they had under the Labor government. And this is what they all got their knickers in a twist over: is that mm. the the special deals weren't continued. Yeah. So we feel for you, Simon, if you're listening. Absolutely, we do feel for you, Simon, because you're a damn good minister. What I'd like you to do now, dear listener, is to imagine yourself at a at a sort of a Hillsong-style revivalist Sunday morning show, and on the stage, another drink for that. On the stage is our newly minted prime minister with his wife and the local pastor and a few other people. In the background, a guy is sort of just tickling the ivories on the electric keyboard just a little bit to provide mood. Uh, you know, up to a thousand people perhaps standing watching, and our Prime Minister uh, is handed the microphone. Sulawesi in Indonesia this morning. And Lord, we just, we just pray for your spirit and your presence there that you'll bring you'll bring comfort to despair you'll bring insight to confusion that you'll be with President Widodo and you'll give him what he needs to comfort his people and to see their way through this terrible, terrible crisis we pray for your blessing on them this morning Lord Every type of thing that you have to deal with, the, the wisdom that you need, 
Sorry, I've got another prayer. I meant to pray for this too. <laughs> I really did. I was a bit overwhelmed by your welcome. Let's pray for one more thing. Lord, we pray for our farmers. Yes. Yeah. Lord, we pray for our rural communities. Yeah. Our indigenous communities. Yeah. Lord, we pray that you'll bring light. That you'll bring hope. That you'll bring encouragement. And Lord, that you will bring rain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, bring us rain. Oh, just what we need. A prime minister who thinks magic really works. It's like that old um, Facebook meme, isn't it? Where it says, you know, I pray because I don't want to feel bad about not doing anything. You know? It It was a pretty bland um, prayer, wasn't it? I mean, I... You know. well, this is the one thing that I've picked from it was that he had he was praying that Jesus would go and comfort Joko Wadodo, Joko Wadodo. Yes. He's a Muslim. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't imagine that he'd be very welcoming of Jesus coming to help him out, would he? You wouldn't think. No. <laughs> but surely I mean, if if I understand the Christian religion correctly, if there are any Christians among the, the dead under the rubble in Sulawesi They'll be going to heaven, won't they? Well, yeah. one would have thought so. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that a better place than here on Earth? That's right. You should be praying for tsunamis because it'll just speed in the process up for people to well, get to, to heaven. This <laughs> is the nonsense of it, isn't it? And, and, you know, I'd like to thank you, Lord, for Jesus. But hang on. You and Jesus are the same guy. So just it's the whole trinity the Holy Trinity thing, it's just so stupid. Yeah, and yeah. Jesus must really hate all those Indonesian children he killed. <laughs> well, people just weren't praying hard enough in advance, perhaps. Well, then the Lord moves in mysterious ways. Oh, it's just so pathetic, isn't it? So. We're going to have a good old religion bash in this episode, dear listener. <laughs> you know, we're going to give it a good old bash. But, um, but anyway, um, uh, fortunately, uh, at the back of the... Uh, at the back of the room was two guys watching on, and uh, I, I managed to capture a little bit of what they had to say. Uh, here it is. What do you think the average IQ of this group is, huh? Can you see Texas up there on your high horse? What do you know about these people? Just observation and deduction. See a propensity for obesity, poverty, a yen for fairy tales. Cokes putting what few bucks they do have into little wicker baskets being passed around. I think it's safe to say that nobody here is going to be splitting the atom, Marty. You see that? Your fucking attitude. Not everybody wants to sit alone in an empty room beating off the murder manuals. Some folks enjoy community, the common good. There we go, devil's advocate there. But the last few sentence there, it's yeah. the community that people love at that thing. It doesn't matter what rubbish you're spruiking. Those people are in a community and are enjoying that sense of togetherness. And we all know mm. that that's one of the things that churches win with, mm. with you know the, the downtrodden and the lonely and the desperate. Yeah, so that sense of community. Of course, they attribute it to the Holy Spirit, but we all know it's just that feeling of um, human you know, compassion and acceptance that they feel when they're in that community. Mm. Mm. So it's just a, people will accept a lot of nonsense and 
for that sense of community. So my wife and I were going somewhere Sunday morning and we were driving past uh, a local private school that has an in-house sort of chapel and the cars were piled up outside, you know, lined up outside to get in. Like it was a huge queue of people driving in on sort of 8.30 or 9 o'clock or whatever it was on a Sunday morning and uh, they obviously love it. So we carp from the sidelines as cynical sceptics but you have to admire the sense of community. Not everybody out there has discovered the community that is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast community. So, no, they yeah. haven't. But we urge you all to, you know, invite yeah. your friends to listen. Yeah. We're offering you an alternative community, dear listener. Do we offer any alternative prayer for them? No, we don't. But okay. just um, anyway, that was uh, that, and of course. Hillsong has become an official denomination. So they were previously part of Australian Christian churches and they're now registered by the Australian Department of Births, Deaths and Marriages as a recognised denomination with the ability to credential pastors in our own right, Pastor Houston wrote. So... Yeah. Why? What's What's in it for them? Is does that give them greater prestige, or do they get some extra financial benefits? Dare I ask? It? I don't think it's financial. I just think it's prestige. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and they're they're kind of bigger than the group that they're a part of. So they totally swamp the rest of mm. of that Christian group with their size. So they might as well be their own thing and not have to run things past. Yeah. The overarching group, if they decide to do things, mm. yeah. <laughs> so, um, in case you were wondering what Hillsong believes in, <clears throat> their statement of beliefs, and this is relevant because this is all Scott Morrison stuff. Uh, belief the Bible is God's word; it's accurate, authoritative, applicable to our everyday lives. Um, believe that sin has separated each of us from God and his purpose for our lives. And going on a bit further, um, our eternal destination is either heaven or hell and it's determined by our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the one that caught my eye was, we believe that in order to live the holy and fruitful lives that God intends for us, we need to be baptised in water and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit enables us to use spiritual gifts, including speaking in tongues. That's, uh, that's our Prime Minister. Otherwise known as glossolalia. What's the word? Glossolalia. Oh. And apparently it's just complete um, rubbish, babble. isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, not, it's nothing. And even the people mm. who are gifted with this don't really know what they're talking about. No, no. So anyway, um, I'd like to know if Scott Morrison's ever spoken in tongues. Has anyone ever asked him that? We'd love to know. He's, wouldn't, he wouldn't be game to say now publicly. Make mm. himself but look like great. more of a turkey than he already It'd be is. great for somebody to come out of the woodwork like the former leader of the young liberals at university and describe Scott Morrison speaking, speaking in, in tongues, tongues at yeah. some Pentecostal event. That would be good. That would be excellent. Mm. Hey, uh, our letters to the editor stuff, that we all got a message from Craig Sankey. He also got a letter published in The Age. So well done, on Craig. You, good on you, Craig. So that's on our letters to the editor page. And um, meanwhile in The Age, so, yeah, The Age was a good one. It, 
really was quite happy to publish stuff along our lines. But they also publish a wide variety of views. And there's an article here from a Barry Swartz. So this has made it into uh, the lifestyle section of the Age newspaper. He says, Twice recently I've heard noted journalist Greg Sheridan talk about his new book, God is Good for You, on secular media. Both times he was almost instantly questioned, are you saying atheists can't be as good as Christians? It's a challenge I've heard scores of times. Many non-believers deeply resent any suggestion, even implication, that Christians think they are more moral because of their faith. So let's lay this to rest. Atheists certainly can be, and often are, as good as Christians, but only thanks to God, to whom they owe their understanding of good and their moral will. We can't <laughs> win, Jesus can we? Christ. Uh, so he basically says there's a Christian culture that we have been inculcated with and that, that's what we've absorbed our moral, uh, um, our good morals from. Yeah. And uh, that's what's actually responsible for us not raping and pillaging each other. We're just not aware other. of it. Yes, yeah. yes, it's subconscious. <laughs> I thought there's been studies and all that sort of thing done on this to prove that it's all a load of garbage, isn't it? Yeah, but there you go. article like that makes it into the age. Uh, it's amazing what rubbish can be printed in a major newspaper. Yeah. Here's an interesting one. We haven't had much to say about crazy Mormons lately, but uh, this is an article um, from the Sydney Morning Herald. And I think most people who've listened to this podcast for a while would be aware that Mormons are, have a propensity to posthumously baptise people into their faith. Um, just a bit of background. The Mormons, of course, are increasingly influential in Australia and 13% of delegates elected to Victoria's Liberal administrative bodies are Mormons compared to the 0.3% who actually are. So 13%, it's, they're taking over. Um, anyway... A Salt Lake, based, Salt Lake City-based researcher, Helen Radke, a former Mormon, has done some research and she says some prominent Australians have been baptised. They include former Prime Ministers Malcolm Fraser, Joe Lyons, John Curtin, Alfred Deakin and Robert Menzies. Other prominent Australians to be baptised into the Mormon faith include Don Bradman, Ned Kelly, <laughs> Trigger Ninny and Sir Keith Murdoch. <laughs> Sugar Nini. Yes. Extraordinary. (laughs) Neville Bonner. Just think, Trevor, in the future, one day you might be baptised. Indeed. I can't stop him. Posthumously. Can't stop him. See, this is the whole point. I don't think any of us have got to worry about anything because the Mormons are going to baptise us anyway once we're dead. So if we got it wrong, we'll get baptised. So we'll be right. Don't worry about it. The descendants of Ned Kelly aren't happy. They say that Ned was a Catholic. We know what religion he was. If he wanted to be Mormon, he would have been one. (laughs) (laughs) And Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre Chief Executive Heather Sculthorpe said baptising Triganini, who died in 1876, was a ridiculous notion. She was not a Mormon before or after death. What was her name again? Uh, The... The Tasmanian Aboriginal no, no, the woman who said it was ridiculous. 
Yeah, Heather Scalthorpe. Yeah, I've got news for Heather. <laughs> right. The Mormon Church has been ridiculous since it was started. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. See, one of the beauties of the Mormon Church is because it's only relatively young and it happened after the records and all that sort of stuff were being put to – well, after they started keeping records, you can actually see what a con man Joseph Smith oh, yes. actually was. Mm. Oh, he was a bloody thief, is what he was. Well, he yeah. he was actually tried in a court in yeah, the United and States yeah. for, for fraud, some so. kind of fraud, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, for exactly the sort of fraud that he used when translating uh, the, the book gold of plates. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So. You know the story, don't you, about translating the golden plates? What mm. I read an account of it, mm. and if it's true, he he invited a neighbour who was literate, which he apparently wasn't completely literate, invited a neighbour over and persuaded him to sit on the other side of a curtain in his house. He recited what he claimed to be reading from the golden plates, you know, with mm. a special gift mm. from the angels, and the neighbour wrote, wrote down what he, uh, what, he, what he said. Yes, and it's, they can actually find the exact book because a lot of it comes from the Old Testament, and they can even find the version of the Old Testament that he was reading from because the particular footnotes match up with certain um, versions of the Bible. Yeah, And the language it's written in is, is supposed to be a kind of, um, you know, uh, faux... Old, old English, old English yeah, sort of thing, yeah. Faux old English. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. To, to try and give it a, an air of authenticity, I yeah, think. Yeah, but he talks about some sort of Hebrews who made their way to North America and there was mm. two great tribes who had these golden chariots who then had these battles who wiped each other out and, of course, no archaeological evidence for it at all. And Zero. Yes. So... Um, not, not, not to mention his polygamy. You know, the, yeah, the beginning of his yeah. polygamous um, inclinations. Yeah. He, uh, he wanted to take a second wife who was a, a teenage girl. Mm. Uh, his wife apparently wasn't very happy about it, so he mm. said, well, you know, God said that it's right for me to do so. Yes, yes. Yep. Terrific. Yep. And that came in quite handy. So that's what uh that's why they do, you know, sending people off on missionary work overseas. That started because and um Joseph Smith would look at and spot some beautiful young girl and think, gee, I wouldn't want a bit of that and would send the husband off on a mission to Africa or Polynesia or whatever. So he'd be gone for five years, so so it wasn't been, completely stupid. No, no sooner had the had the husband headed over the hill and the dust was still settling that he tapped the woman on the shoulder and say, "There's a special um, place for you. Like, yeah. Let me explain it." And off they'd go. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, but he he was able to translate the golden tablets or whatever it was from the Book of Mormon by having a special hat on his head with some stones placed on his head. I thought he looked into the hat. He put yeah. the seer stones in the hat or something like that and he looked into the hat to no, translate them? I, th- I thought he put them in the hat and put the hat on his head. Okay. Nobody ever saw him doing it, so it might be a bit vague. But yeah. that um, was how he managed to translate um, the golden um, sort of tablets that... that Look, there might be something in it, and I, I think perhaps we should get special hats. Well, the, the, <laughs> the, well, the only problem is that, uh, you know, a few years prior to that, 
uh, he used to go around to uh, wealthy landowners and say, there's buried treasure on your land. I can find it for you. And uh, he would get like a divining rod and he would get a hat and put some stones in it and put it on his head and claim that that gave him special power to find the treasure on these people's property. So he would spend several weeks there being, you know, fed and looked after. And he'd say, dig over here, and then they'd dig and find nothing. He'd say, oh, no, it must be over in this other spot. So dig over there, and and eventually he got booted out. Well, he got convicted for fraud for that, and the church denied it, that it it ever happened. But when this old building um, was uh, being demolished or, or something like that, they went through the archives, and it was an old courthouse, and there was the actual uh, conviction sheet for Joseph Smith for fraud, for using a hat with stones, describing the exact manner that he used for uh, interpreting the Book of Mormon uh, he'd been using on this fraud for finding treasure. So, as you say, their problem is that they're a young church and so all these sort of records could be found. Yeah, yeah. So. Absolutely. Uh, Book of Mormon, when it comes to Brisbane, we must go and see it. I've seen it once already, but it's a great, um, yeah, great musical. It's making it Me and the better half are going to go. Um, yes. Iron Fist and Velvet Glove yeah, event. It will be. We'll all go to that. Okay. Yeah. Um, we on this podcast have spoken a few times about abortions and the various laws and regulations around Australia regarding abortion. And there was a very good program on ABC. Um, The Clinic of Last Resort was what it was called. And I'm going to play you just a little snippet from that because it uh, gives a great summary of where we stand with abortion law in this country. So here we go. Late terminations do happen in all states, but there are conditions. In Tasmania, it's possible until 16 weeks and then you need two doctor's referrals. That same process applies in the Northern Territory beyond 14 weeks. In Victoria, it's legal up to 24 weeks. In the ACT, there's no gestational limit, but no provider there offers a termination beyond 16 weeks. In Western Australia, it's possible until 20 weeks and then you need an approval from a hospital ethics committee. And in New South Wales and South Australia, it's technically a crime to get a termination at any stage of your pregnancy, with some exceptions. And that also applies in Queensland, where laws were made in 1899. Although we can look at those guidelines and say, under these circumstances, the guidelines state that you would provide a therapeutic termination of pregnancy, they're not necessarily adhered to in any sense. Those in the know will tell you it's virtually impossible in reality to get a surgical abortion once you reach 20 weeks, no matter who you are or where you are in Australia. When it comes to gestational limits, the hospitals don't necessarily need to give you a cut-off but can basically make those statements such as we don't have anyone here who can provide anything up beyond that gestation. And that's what this story is about, the difference between law and reality and what that means for the 650 or so women every year who seek out late abortions in Australia. 
with one single exception in South Australia, where it's for residents only, chances are you'll have one option left if you want a surgical termination. Most of the women who speak with us end up having to go to Melbourne because the only other clinic in Australia that provides a termination beyond 20 weeks is at Maroondah in Melbourne. They call it the Clinic of Last Resort. It'd be pretty tough wanting to have an abortion at 20 weeks. You're a long way down the track then. Mm. Yeah, you are. And that is the thing that um, I, I think I alerted you to that uh, that um, podcast anyway. But um, mm. when I was first listening to it, I thought to myself, geez, you wouldn't want to be getting it done at that, le- that, that late time anyway because that's five months into it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, it's – well, none of us are women, so we can't judge, but um, – it must be very tough to make that decision. You know, one would have thought it would have to be tough. Mm. Totally agree. Mm. Mm. Anyway, Queensland's in the, presumably in the middle of an abortion debate. Mm. We don't hear it much is. about it. You don't hear a hell of a lot about mm. it. Um, there is a protest that's being planned for the 14th, I believe it is, uh, Sunday the 14th of October. Queen's Park at 11am. Anyone that's interested, I will be there. Right. Hmm. Very good. Donald Trump, we haven't mentioned much of the Donald, but he's made a number of gaffes. Yeah, well, <laughs> Really? Yeah. Over the last week, it's just uh, even exceptional for him, perhaps. Um so, so you don't think being laughed at in the UN was exceptional, do you? Yeah, well, um, uh, they were laughing with him, Scott. Of course, yeah. So laughing with him. Yeah. So you got to remember when he was running for election. This is what he had to say. <clears throat> at what point does America get demeaned? At what point do they start laughing at us as a country? We don't want other leaders and other countries laughing at us anymore, and they won't be. They won't be. Well, they wouldn't be, except uh, that Donald then rocks up at the UN and says this. In less than two years, my administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. (laughs) Ridicule's important. Laughing at him is... A really valuable thing. Absolutely it is, yeah. And, you know, all of the arguments and outrage and table thumping and all the rest of it just doesn't compare to people just laughing at him Mm. for what he's done and Mm. what he's doing. So, um... You'd like to think it would bring him down a peg, but it doesn't... Nothing seems to work. Yeah. That's why, with our freedom of speech laws... And the restrictions on them. So we've got to be careful. Like the Queensland Anti-Discrimination Act, Section 124A, says a person shall not, by public act, incite hatred towards, serious contempt for, or severe ridicule of a personal group of persons on the ground of race, religion, sexuality, or gender identity. So not allowed to incite uh, severe ridicule of. But it's an important thing that we need to be able to do. It's absolutely important, mm. especially with relation to 
absurd um, beliefs and ideologies. Yeah, it's an effective tool to show up what's what's wrong. And what's just unbelievably stupid. Mm. Technically, we could possibly be in breach of that section, but there is an exemption uh, which says it's not unlawful if it's a public act done reasonably and in good faith for academic, artistic, scientific or research purposes or for any other purposes in the public interest, including public discussion or debate about or expositions of any act or matter. So... We're probably okay on the basis of the <laughs> exemption. That's for the, the way time I, being. Anyway. Yes, for the time being. Yep. And, of course, the other thing he said, uh, i got a lot of clips this week, but anyway, we'll run through them all. Um, the other thing that Trump said was this. And then we fell in love, okay? No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters, and they're great letters. We fell in love. You know, it's talking, bizarre. you know who he's talking about? Yes. <laughs> Kim Jong-un. Yes. It's simply bizarre, isn't it? It begs belief, doesn't it? Yeah. Are we allowed to laugh at that? I think we can, yeah. And uh, one more thing he had to say. And I went to Puerto Rico and I met with the president of the Virgin Islands. Uh, <laughs> these are people that are incredible people. They've suffered... The president of he met he met with the president of the Virgin Islands, yeah, which is a he a, met himself, did he? A territory of the United States. That's yeah. correct. <laughs> the Virgin Islands is a territory of yeah. the United States. So he and Dan Tian would he, get along well, I think. He is the president of the Virgin Islands. Oh, for goodness' sake! Poor America. Have you guys been keeping tabs of? the Kavanaugh uh, Supreme Court nomination proceedings in the Senate. I have been. Mm. And, you know, I was talking with Paul on the way over here. Um, I'd like to see him go down. I'm not sure that he should go down for what he's being dragged down for, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it is... <sighs> I don't know. It's one of those things. I was talking to Paul on the way up the driveway, actually. We didn't really finish that conversation. But um, it's one of those things. You've got to be able to tell young blokes and that sort of stuff. You've got to be able to nip that sort of behavior in the bud. And you've got to stop it from progressing into their adult life. Which behavior, Scott? Well, holding a woman down and hold, oh, you yeah. know, putting your mouth, your hand over her mouth and that sort of stuff to stop her screaming. Mm. You've got to nip that in the bud. But also you've got to give them enough leniency so that they don't have a criminal record that follows them their entire life for something like that. Now, what I didn't, what I wasn't aware of until this evening was the other stories that were coming out and being a violent drunk and all that sort of stuff too. So, you know, those things all, all add up to a person that you don't want sitting on the Supreme court. I would have thought, you know? Yeah. But the point is, <coughs> 12th man, you got anything to add before I, um, you? the point in particular, no, the point is, He's he's not really well. You know, some people would be accusing, some people would be arguing what you've just argued that he's being tried for his behaviour as a college student. But arguably, what he's being tried for is his honesty today about his behaviour as a college student. So he claimed that he 
you know, only had the occasional beer and most of the time he was, you know, playing sport and going to church, you know, he painted a picture of himself that clearly wasn't true based on a number of statements and um, and it's his present day denial of what he did then that makes you know you don't want a liar. Exactly. It's it's more a case of you know yes his honesty and his demeanour and the witness box as he's testifying, which is aggressive and blaming the left for sabotaging his his nomination and all these sorts of things. So yeah. I think you can say we're not you know convicting somebody for something that happened 30 years ago it's more his current behavior in relation to it Mm. yeah yeah absolutely Mm. and there's the whole point that i do think that he Mm. shouldn't be on the supreme court because Mm. you know he's the stories that are coming out about him aren't good Mm. and i also think that senator bernie sanders said it beautifully he says you know lying to the lying to the congress is a is a federal crime Mm. and he's appeared to have lied to them so I don't think he should be on the Supreme Court. So in a lot of these things, it's not the actual crime that gets people, it's the cover-up. Exactly. Is yeah. what gets people in the end. Yeah. So what what scenes, though, for America? Uh, I mean, a, a president saying all these ridiculous things, but then coming out in support of Kavanaugh, and then this amazing hearing where this woman is on the stage giving a pretty gripping account of what happened to her and yeah. the whole nation having to listen in. And it's pretty much... A terrible situation to think of that this country is almost certainly still going to, you know, put this guy in as a Supreme Court judge. Well, we'll have to wait and see because there are some Republicans that are faltering. They aren't. They aren't prepared to back him because of what they've heard, and they did say that they wanted the FBI to investigate. The Mm. FBI is going to come back and say, "Well, it's too far. We don't know." Mm. And that'll be it. So that could provide some cover for them. What but do you reckon? What do you reckon is going to happen? Is he going to make it? Is he I going to get nominated or not? Don't know. I would imagine he probably will be nominated. I, I don't know. He, I'm willing to put a six pack that he will definitely uh, get through. So, look, it's uh, these guys. Trump has turbocharged power, so. Previously, powerful interests had to consider backlash and ramifications from the powerless. But Trump has demonstrated that power can just get away with anything these days. Deny the truth if you need to, as you know, uh, as being caught won't matter. Um, accept the allegations and just say, so what? You know, yeah, grabbed on the pussy, so what? Locker talk, you know. You can say anything or you can say nothing. It doesn't matter. The powerless can't do anything. And you don't have to keep up appearances or pretenses or uh, just toss other powerful people a, a bone occasionally and and provided they're happy with what they're getting, they'll let you get away with anything. So he's, he's just turbocharged it and completely disabled the powerless. So that's the legacy of, of Trump and... Um, he's encouraging. This. It shows the degree to which the American political system has been corrupted by those with a lot of money hmm. who buy influence, hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. And, Combined you know, with the... But previously they had to think about what can we get away with? Can hmm. we get away with that? Will there be a backlash? Will, you know, the, the public might turn on us and boot us out? Or But now they just look at the Trump example and go, hmm. do whatever we like. 
Do whatever we like. So, yeah. Speaking of powerful interests doing whatever they like, have you guys been keeping tabs of the the Royal Commission into the the banking and finance industry? Mm. Yes, I have been. Apparently Mm. our current Prime Minister... Um, voted against the Royal Commission and said that mm. it'll be a waste of money. They won't find anything. Mm. Yep. That's what he said. Yep. Uh, he said it was nothing more than a populist whinge. That was two years ago. Populist whinge. Yeah. And, of course, the Commission's come out finding all sorts of terrible behaviour by banks and financial institutions. So Scandalous. Yeah. Dishonesty. So, I mean, yeah. we were just talking about Kavanaugh's dishonesty. What about our bank's dishonesty? Mm. So The banks have been appalling. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, there's a report has come out. And quoting from the executive summary, it says, The Commission's work so far has shown conduct by financial services entities that has brought public attention and condemnation. Some conduct was already known to regulators and the public generally. Some was not. Why did it happen? Too often the answer seems to be greed. The pursuit of short-term profit at the expense of basic standards of honesty. There we go. We needed a Royal Commission to tell us that the banks are so greedy that I'll do anything. No surprise. Mm. Also says that the conduct regulator, ASIC, rarely went to court to seek public denunciation of and punishment and the prudential regulator, APRA, Never went to court. The regulators are just asleep at the wheel, and we're toothless tigers, is what they are. And a lot of the problem with these things is the regulators are former players in the industry, so they're all mates with these guys. They go in and out of, you know, from the regulator to the industry and back again, and and it's all the same people, uh, mates regulating mates, and not wanting to hurt a mate. That's part of what's going on. So, yeah, so Scott Morrison was against it, thought it was a populist whinge, and now uh, he's coming around and seeing that he's going to have to do something about it. Yeah. And he's going to have to eat his words, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. It makes me wonder what the hell they're going to have to do, but I would have thought probably at a first level they're going to have to break up the banks and that sort of stuff. You've got to get rid of their financial planning arms, separate them, so that they've got them under completely separate businesses. Yeah, I think so. And then the banks are going to have to go back to what they've always been, just banks. Yep. Where the only money they make is the margin between the interest they pay and the interest they charge. Yep. So all that vertical integration where you have your money with the bank and they yeah. put you on with the financial planner mm-hmm. and your super's there and yep. all that other stuff That's and to nobody's go. to watch. You know, yeah. If you're at least separated, the financial planner might say, what's the bank doing here? That doesn't look right, or mm. vice versa. So... Um, but when they're all part of the same family, uh, the so-called professionals aren't motivated to to question what the other professionals are well, doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the worst because I've got all my banking with Westpac and I mm. put money in BT, which is owned by Westpac, and my mm. super's with BT too. So, mm. you know, I'm one of the worst because mm. I've got everything with the same – it's all from the same family, just as Trevor puts. So, you know. Yeah, but yeah. at least you're educated enough um, oh, yeah. to do and your own – I am educated mm. enough and I did actually pick, pick people up on a couple of things that they did want me to do, but I said, no, I wouldn't do that. So, right. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Mm. 
Speaking of powerful interests, um, have you ever considered the whole story of academic writing and academic papers? Yeah, I did read that. That's very interesting. Mm. So what we've got is uh, we've got lecturers and uh, academics in our publicly funded universities and their wages are being funded by us who are writing academic articles and conducting research and experiments and study. They're writing up papers of their results and they're publishing them in journals. And if other academics want to access that information, they're having to pay exorbitant amounts to get the articles from the journals. So this is a business that was... One of the players in it was the late notorious con man Robert Maxwell. Don't know if you remember him, the newspaper fame. So, um, uh, so he realised that because scientists need to be informed about all significant developments in their field, every journal that publishes academic papers can establish a monopoly and can charge outrageous fees for the transmission of knowledge. He called it a perpetual financing machine. He also realised you could capture other people's labour and resources for nothing. So governments fund the research that's published by his company. While the scientists who wrote the articles, reviewed them and edited the journals did so for free. Um, uh, So half of the world's research is published by five companies. Amazing. Libraries pay a fortune for their bundle journals, while those outside the university system are asked to pay $20, $30, sometimes $50 to read a single article. So while open access journals have grown, researchers still have to read the paywalled articles in commercial journals. And because um, there's sort of kudos involved in having an article in a well-known, established journal... Um, you still want to submit to those journals and get it printed in the most prestigious ones because of the kudos that's involved. Uh, so um, this guy, um, uh, I think it's George Monbiot, a well-known writer, he had a cancer diagnosis and he wanted to research for himself the possible treatments and uh, he couldn't access a lot of the scientific material because it's all paywalled. Uh, in these expensive silos. So he managed to access them um, because of a person called Alexandra Elbakian. And what this person has done is kind of like WikiLeaks for... um, Academic journals. Academic journals. Mm. So I think it's Alexandra, it's a she, I guess. Um managed to crack the system and gather all of these articles and put them up on public websites. And uh, so people like George Monbiot can access them. So he's saying it's, um, it's a sort of a moral theft that she's done because she's basically taken stuff that belongs to the public. I mean, we funded the people who wrote it. Uh, we should have access to the material. So he's um, applauding her. She's in hiding and they try and shut down her websites at different times, but they just bob up again everywhere else. So she's managing to beat the system. So um, 
she's had you know multi-million dollar judgments against her and what it says here is that um uh she's in hiding and beyond the jurisdiction of US courts but what's happening now is as the system has begun to um creak Government funding agencies have at last summoned the courage to do what they should have done decades ago and demand democratisation of knowledge. So last week, a consortium of European funders, including major research agencies in the UK, France, the Netherlands and Italy, published a thing called Plan S, and it insists that from 2020, research we have already paid for through our taxes will no longer be locked up. Any researcher receiving money from government funding must publish his or her work in open access journals. What a great move. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Fantastic. I wasn't yeah. aware that it was actually so expensive to mm. access mm. all that stuff. Yeah. Mm. So the publishers, of course, have gone ballistic. But um, as I say, that's the whole point. So oh, they're going to go ballistic because they're just, they're suffering with exactly what every other industry suffered with the technological march. Yeah, they're just complaining because they've had their whole business yep. model pulled out from underneath them. But yep. they're just going to get used to it. Yeah. So it isn't isn't the word luddites come to mind? Yeah, presumably. Yeah. Mm. So hopefully that will happen here. Hopefully. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I see a problem. What's that? Trans-Pacific Partnership. <laughs> See, this is the thing. Under that goddamn Trans-Pacific Partnership, if we as a government said, right, all of our um, academic writings that we've paid for have to go open source, the these companies could say, well, that, that's a breach of our, our trade and our proprietary rights. You can't do that. We're going to take you to court. Yep. That's exactly the sort of thing that gets caught up in a TPP argument. Yeah. Exactly the sort Sovereignty. of thing. Sovereignty. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. That's the danger we're facing. So, um, What do you think about Brexit? Because part of that, a lot of that was about sovereignty, wasn't it? It was about the British people feeling that their sovereignty had been eroded by uh, European Union... Regulations and laws. Yes, I've got I've got firm views on it, but that's part of the argument. But it's also a a Trump like reaction to the elites have have screwed us, and they want us to do this and just stuff them. We'll do something else mm. because why would we agree to to that? It's an interesting. It's a phenomenon. rebellious. Yeah. It, is, it is very. Mm. It is very interesting, and I think that um, a lot of it goes back to Merkel, because you know she hosted David Cameron, who went over there prior to the referendum coming up, and he said to her, "Look, you just got to give us something." She wouldn't give him anything. She sent him back to London with nothing. So he had to dress. He had to dress nothing up like something. He couldn't do it, and the re- referendum went against them. Mm. So. I think she's, you know, my better half's got this opinion of the whole situation. He reckons that she wanted them out and that sort of stuff, so she engineered it so that they had to vote to leave. Why on earth would she want Britain out? Uh, Because she wanted to dominate the European Union. (laughs) Anyway, Mm. it is is very interesting. But, um, you know, I just hope that Theresa May 
because she went to them with a with a proposal and they knocked it back. I hope Theresa May goes to them and says next time with both fingers raised and says, you won't give me anything, that's fine, we're going to have a no-deal no Brexit. A hard Brexit. We're going to have right? a hard Brexit and there's going to be a no-deal Brexit. You're not getting a single penny from the UK taxpayer. You can go and get stuffed. <laughs> Hang on, they'll just be sued for it. This, for the because of the money's owing under the agreement that said if you leave if you leave the union then this is the penalties you must pay. Well, Britain doesn't have to pay that, do they? Well, what are they going to do? Be taken with... to an international court and forced to pay. <laughs> and Britain then if they refuse to, to pay, to... Britain, Britain can tell them to get stuffed if they really want. <sighs> <laughs> and then There'll be embargoes. There'll be trade wars where they'll just refuse to. Yeah, there, there will be. There will be all sorts of. There will be. There will be, be a hell of a lot of problems that goes with it. But Britain doesn't hold the upper hand to be able to say that. Oh well, the the, the stuff. The UK the, is still a major importer of German and French cars. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big. There's a big lot of money there. They import a lot of food from the European Union. I know that, but they'll import their food from Australia and New Zealand now. This is going to be a hell of a lot cheaper for them. That's the point I was trying to make, that uh, the the European Union be punishing themselves, wouldn't they, by putting trade embargoes on Great Britain, on the United Kingdom. Absolutely, they would be, yeah. I mean, there would be pain on both sides. There'd be pain on both. There'd be pain on both sides, but I do think that it's probably about time that Britain tells them to get staffed. And I think what, that she should tell the, she, I think she should tell the president of the European Union to get stuff, not Angela Merkel too. Well, London runs on finance. I know that, yeah, and, and that's, that that could be a big problem if they if they move their finance financial well, centre out of London to Strasbourg. They're already moving. All yeah. of those companies are moving mm. to some sort of European base because are they leaving London? Are they? Yes, absolutely. Because mm. if it's not part of the European Union, it, it can't function as the finance centre. So they're talking that's about the Dublin death. being the new. Finance Centre for Europe. Dublin. Mm. Right. Well, that's the death knell for... That's just enormous pain hitting their way. And Mm. isn't Boris now pushing for a bit bit more of a hard... Taking a hard line? He does. He wants wants them to take a hard line and that sort of thing and just do what I've just suggested. Mm. But I don't think that's going to work either. Look, I personally think they've got to have another referendum when they actually know what the final bill's going to be and say to people... You can either vote to leave and this is what it's going to cost us or you can vote to stay and this is what it's going to cost us, you know. But the first vote was supposed to be final. I know, it was mm. supposed to be final. But you but keep having a vote until you get the one you want. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you've it's got a mess. It's a mess. It's oh. a hell of a mess. It's a hell of a mess. I don't think there's any de- – there's no denying that it's a mess. You know, it's, it's an absolute bloody mess for them. But, you know, mm. Germany's partially responsible for that. Mm. Right. We got a nice review on iTunes from Maddock Man who said, I discovered this podcast recently and it's become one of my favourites. The back catalogue is well worth a listen to. These guys are well informed and funny and there are occasional gems contributed by listeners and friends such as Landon Hardbottom that are <laughs> classic. I've learned a lot and have changed my views on some things while laughing out loud while on my walks. If you're not listening to this, you are underinformed. And yes, this means you, Scott Morrison and Bill. I stand with the bishops, Shorten. <laughs> Good on you, Maddock man. Thank you very much, Maddock. Yeah. Quick thanks to the patrons: Sean, Alex, Ayame, Tony, Landon, Janelle, Sting TV, the beneficiary, Craig, John, Wayno, Jimmy Spud, 
Brett, Steve, Caitlin, Alison, Matt J, Rod, Watley, uh, Bronwyn Kane, Dean, Matic Man, Palais, Robert, Dominic, Warren, Karen, Liam, Harry, Less Is More is a new patron. We've got Dave and Daniel has come on board recently as well. Good on you. Thanks for signing up. Um, wasn't an enormous amount this week. It was a bit of a funny week. It was just nonsense. It was a week of nonsense. Nonsense was, from yeah. Scott Morrison. Yeah. Nonsense from Donald Trump. Just nonsense. So that's what happens sometimes. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Right. We'll be back next week with uh, news, views, politics. We'll talk to you then. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you then. Bye now. See you, listeners. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.